You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. It seems strange to say this today, given America's prominent role on the world stage across many aspects of culture. But for a lot of a lot of history, America wasn't really known for its innovation in terms of artistry and cultural production. Like you think about Impressionism, Cubism, those were things coming out of Europe. And the art coming out of America was largely seen as just you know, quaint, folksy stuff, but it wasn't the avant-garde. And that's the way it was largely until the 20th century. And so for this episode, we're going to look at the work of Grant Wood, regionalism, and American Gothic, which I would, I would argue is one of the first iconic bits of distinctly American painting. I feel like who art ed? Who art ed? Mr. Wood art ed me. <laughs> Either way, it, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. That's off to a great start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and joining me today is Mike Divalbis, art teacher at Brook Forest Elementary. Thanks for joining me. Oh, Kyle, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. I'm excited, too, because you, um, when we were talking about setting this up, you said you had some connections with Grant Wood and... Um, and, you know, the, the places where he lived and worked and taught, like right down the road from you at certain points in your career. Well, right? actually, it gets better than that, man. Um, so I appreciate you allowing the guest to have a little say. I know you shared some artists with me, and I was just like, you know what? Um, I've always had a personal connection with Grant Wood, and not necessarily because I love his artwork, which I, I do. Um, so I went to the University of Iowa, uh, yeah. and that's where I got my BFA. And when I uh, student taught, I had to teach, well, I didn't have to, but I taught half junior high art in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and the other half in New Zealand. Now, when uh, the University of Iowa placed me, they put me in McKinley Middle School. And uh, so I get there, and I noticed right away, like in the foyer, it's 20 years ago, so near the foyer or something, that there was some Grant Wood stuff. But then I start talking to the art teacher and realize I'm teaching in the same room. Like the same room yeah. that Grant Wood taught in. And my mind is blown. Like, come on, the Grant Wood taught in the same room? Like, not worthy. 
That's incredible. That that is quite mm. the connection, and it's also funny. You know, you were you were teaching where he he taught, and like I went to I went to SAIC, so like I went to the same school he was studying in. You know, so I guess we both have some some different connections, but yours is definitely more interesting than mine. Well, yeah, um, and then I find out he eventually taught at the University of Iowa. Um, so yeah, and you know, we're both from the Midwest, so I think part of the reason I chose this this artist is because I think it's real easy to relate to, at least for us, yeah. right? Yeah. We're, we're familiar with this, this style and just his genre. Yeah. So, I mean, we've already gotten into a little bit of our own personal backgrounds, but getting into Grant Wood's background, um, you know, he was born February 13th, 1891 in Anamosa, Iowa. I probably totally mispronounced yep. no, that. No, you did it. That's right. Oh, I got it right. Excellent. Cause yeah. you know how sometimes like, Sometimes those rural communities they have a, an unexpected pronunciation, like they'll they'll call it like like Versailles or something like that, you know, <laughs> in, in that way that like differentiates the 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 locals from the outsiders. Absolutely. So I always get nervous with pronunciation. No, you nailed that one, man. Um, but you know, he was in that rural community for the very earliest parts of his life, and then in yeah. 1901. Um, so he's like 10 years old. Uh, his father passed away and his mother moved the family, like him and his sister, to Cedar Rapids. So a little bit more rural environment or going from the rural to the more urban environment there. Yeah. Um, and he, from what I understand, he loved art all along. You know, he he excelled in arts from an early age. But after high school is when he started to like expand beyond the typical art experiences that we all have, you know? I think Grant Wood's life, uh, just so many of us can relate to it. So when you said that, yeah, his, his dad passed away. And uh, being a male and a dad myself, I can't even imagine how challenging that must have been. But then you add to that challenge of moving from farm town to the city, uh, and especially at that age, I mean, it's, it's gotta be tough being the new student. And he struggled. Kids made fun of him, um, you know, his clothes, because he was still wearing his overalls. And, you know, he just kind of didn't fit the part in Cedar Rapids at that time. But what kind of saved him was his art uh, and his personality. And yeah. that, that you know, that kind of made a label and a name for himself. And uh, I bet if you were to ask him, like, that, that was a huge turning point in his life that really formed the trajectory. Well, I think that's a really good point because, you know, that was, uh, you know, at any time to lose lose a, a family member like that is, is that is a, a horrendous blow. But like, yeah. you know, you add to that the destabilizing effect of moving and at that that time when you're just starting to become a little bit more self-conscious at like 10 years old. You know what I'm talking about? You're starting yeah, to form totally. that identity. Um yep. Like, there's a lot going on there that's very difficult. And I, I like that you pointed out how art was, in some ways, a safe space for him. And and, and, I, and I, part of the reason I point that out, Kyle, is because that was for me. And I'm sure that there's other artists, teachers, students that can relate. Like, so not to get too much in my own personal life, but my parents got divorced when I was young. Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've always got people, you know, what, what made you get into art? It was my escape, man. Like, that's where I dove into and so that way, I mean, I could already, before I even look at a Grantwood painting, I'm already connecting to this guy, right? Yeah, 100%. Like, that's a, 
that's a very common narrative of like people got into art as you know a way of of coping with other therapy. things yeah. you know art therapy yeah um and so he did excel in arts and he pursued art beyond like high school he he went to the Minneapolis School of Design and Handicraft Handicraft mm-hmm. and like what I always I love find, the name I know <laughs> I know but <laughs> It, it reminded me of like one of my earliest professors. Um, he talked about how like he he was kind of lamenting that these days we all sort of specialize. But in his day, if you were an artist, you could work with anything. The expectation was an artist can work with anything and, and you know, that generalist approach. And so Grant Wood, he wasn't just painting, although he's remembered for his paintings like he was designing jewelry early on. That's how he was yep. making his living. He was building furniture. Um, yeah. And so actually he took a job as a silversmith and later opened his own shop in Chicago in 1913. And so in his free time, you know, he went and took classes at school of the art Institute of Chicago, my old alma mater. Yep. And, you know, then he went back to Iowa to help take care of his mother. I think when she was, you know, having more health issues as she was getting older. And I think, um, I think he was helping her financially as well. Um, but he went back basically to take care of his family. Um, throughout all this, you see a lot of just like good civic minded, like he was helping people. He, you know, when he became more prominent, he was, he started that artist colony. He was helping people. He was, um, I guess World War One to to just go sequentially. He was helping out with the the war effort with the clay models and military artillery, helping with camouflage, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, so we haven't even talked about his style of art or his painting, and just as a human being, I mean, this guy's pretty solid. Oh right? yeah, like he's he's a great a great person to know and be familiar with just because of his life, whether you like his artwork or not. Yeah. And, and with a lot of it, I get this sense that he was very sort of civically minded. You know, Mm -hmm. you talked about how he taught, he taught in Grand Rapids. He, you know, I talked about how he went to take care of Rapids. Totally different place. Yep. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) right, Uh, Cedar Rapids. Yeah. Um, But like he, he was kind of like, the community's artist there. Like if you needed an artist, he was the one that people commissioned. He taught there. He painted portraits there. He was doing stained glass there with the world war one Memorial, which yeah, I, yeah. I thought it was super interesting when I read about that. Cause again, you don't think about like Grant Wood and stained glass, but he was overseeing this thing. And, and I guess when he got the commission, he actually went to Munich to to learn about the stained glass and oversee the the fabrication of the piece, which yeah. I just got to think like one the dedication to learning, but yep. two just like the audacity to take a commission in a meeting. Fake it you till don't you know. make it, man. Like, Fake it till you make it. Come I, on, like you've never done that. I mean, as artists, don't we sometimes in our careers just kind of have to put ourselves out there and be like, "Whoa, I'm not sure if I can do this, but uh, let's give it a go." But he, like you said, he had the audacity to actually go out to Europe, which I I mean, obviously this is a totally different time period, but I would have to imagine that was a pretty penny and not easy, right? That's, that that wasn't easy for him to get up and go do. 
Well, yeah, that's never been an easy or cheap thing to do, but he did it a few times in his life. Before that, he went to... Um, he went to Paris and studied for a little while and that, you know, he was doing mostly kind of impressionist style at that point. That was before he like fully developed his regionalist approach. Um, but before we get too forward in that, I do want to, and this is more kind of for the art teachers because I think we'll all appreciate this. But when he was, um, hired at McKinley, I think they called it McKinley junior high at the time. Uh, so they built the school like in 1922. Don't quote me on that, but around then. And there was all kinds of issues. Like they're saying that uh, there's quicksand. Uh, I think they tried building a pool and then that didn't work. But when it was all said and done and they opened the doors, the school building was incredibly boring. I mean, just white walls. And Grant Wood took it upon himself to, he put an ad in the newspaper uh, asking people for houseplants, right? That we'll take care of them. So they were at the school and then they gave them back. But he also brought in artists and got the students to paint murals. So he kind of, uh, you know, took it upon himself to turn this place of learning into a more beautiful, inviting place. Like he saw it. So back to the whole civic thing, right? Yeah. It takes a, you know, some some people just kind of come in, work and go, and that's it. But this guy looked beyond that. And he's like, no, this is not a, we got to make this right. This has got to be a better place. And another funny story, I think I shared it with you, but the principal at the time in that school asked him, because remember, he's a jack of all trades. The guy can yeah, like do yeah. anything. I mean, wouldn't every principal love this guy? Um, the principal says, hey, I need a bench uh, for the office. And, you know, Grant Wood says, yeah, totally. And builds this like beautiful leather chair. And I think it had like plants or something on the side. And then the principal said, Grant, this is great, but uh, it's too comfy. And the issue is kids are coming to the office because they're in trouble, but they actually they actually are too comfortable. Is there any way you can make me a bench less comfortable? And so if you go into McKinley School right now, uh, the bench is still there. It's called the mourner's bench. And he carved into it um, the way of the transgressor is hard. And it's a very, you know, it's all wood. There's yeah, no cushioning yeah. or anything like that. <laughs> and I just love, I just love, love the humor and story behind it, that the principal asked him for this. And and the fact that it's still there is, is pretty awesome too. Well, because when you think about what were the trends in, in education and school design and architecture back then, a lot of it was focused on like, like I look at, I've got a lot of hundred year old school buildings in the community where I live, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you see, it looks like an old university, you know, yeah. it, it, like right. the elementary school looks Ivy league. And right. it's just because like the surroundings put you in a certain mindset. And I think yeah. there is something true to that. Like where, you know, the principal was talking about the psychology of like, we need the furniture to match the tone of why you're here. Exactly. So, and I also love just the fact that he wanted to beautify the school. And I think that could just be an encouragement to to all of us art teachers. We may be, sometimes we're kind of stuck in places. I'm down in the basement. Um, but don't let that get you down. Like you you can beautify and make this an amazing learning place. Well, that's the, that's what art does. It, it's, it's, it's transformative. Yeah. You know? So just one more example of him being the civic Besides just being an artist, right? Just thinking outside the box. Well, yeah. And I mean, during the Depression, he went beyond the school. He was leading the the Public Works Commission um, with the artists making murals all over um, right. Iowa and, and I believe further in the Midwest. Um, this episode is brought to you by Sax.com. 
At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. But that's kind of his background, like, and the piece we're talking about today is going to be, you know, American Gothic, which that is the iconic Grant Wood piece. That's the first one. If you know of Grant Wood, that's the first one that that everyone thinks of. And I guess just a little bit about that piece before we start to analyze it. Mm -hmm. I did not realize this, but that piece basically made him an art star overnight. Yeah. Like he was it, nobody. He, he was he was the local artist, and then nope. he brought that in 1930. He brought it to the Art Institute for an exhibition. They they put it up there, and the museum acquired it. Like, well, I know it was an art contest, and I've read two different places where either it was a third place finish. I know Mike Venezia in his books, I think, mentioned it was a third place finish, but I've read other places that it won the contest. But whatever it was. It certainly, yeah, just brought him into stardom and, and put the spotlight on him. Yeah, I've I've read different accounts too. Um, most commonly, I've seen a third third place. Third I've seen place, a broad, yeah. bronze or something, you know. But like, my stance is always like, you know what? If you're on the podium at the Olympics, you won. Exactly. You know I mean? yeah. Like, and like from the newspaper clippings that I saw that um, you know that covered the contest, it was his work, right? That's on the cover. Yeah. So I mean, he. Grand Slam. Yeah, but like I said, regardless of the the place that it won in the contest, you know, he it was acquired by the museum. It elevated his stature. You talked about how he taught at University of Iowa. That's why. Like he had that clout and it elevated his position throughout the art world, you know, beyond beyond just his local community. And it, it opened up lots of opportunities for him. It also opened up lots of criticism for him. Like from oh, what yeah. I've read at University of Iowa, um, you know, because he was a regionalist and because other people were like, you got to think like 1920s, 1930s. Well, I guess this is 1930s, but like what was popular? What were the trends at that time? It was kind of the international style. It was like that high modern abstraction, um, and like that's not what Grant Wood was doing, and so Polar opposite. yeah. Mean, so so some people, some of the tastemakers, kind of looked at him and said, "You know what? You're making us look bad with this quaint, folksy artwork. We want stuff that shows we're as sophisticated as the Europeans, and we want to show that we're up with the trends." Yeah, but on the flip side, which I, you're totally right, but where did he get that inspiration? The style came from Europe, right? He he spent time in Paris and did the whole Impressions thing, but then went to Germany and was inspired by, like, I believe it was Van Eyck and that, that European, that German style of portraiture. 
Um, so it's not like, yeah, the, 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 the subject was obviously very rural and, and regionalism, but the style isn't, isn't, wasn't really something new. No. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend that I agree with, or even think that it was a fully like sincere criticism. I, I think it's worth noting like that it did he did face opposition and challenge is the main thrust of that because if I'm being yeah. 100% honest I think a lot of people who who lobbed those criticisms his way were trying to tear tear him down to build themselves up. Yep. Because they also spread rumors about um you know from what I've read he was he was a uh, closeted gay man and you know so that came out and like that's another way of just like they were trying to smear him to build up their own stature um and you know to to counteract that i guess wood would um wood would uh gotta (laughs) edit but grant wood used to dress like all the time in overalls and like really play up that rural you know, sort of machismo. And he, t- he said things like, you know, his best ideas came to him while milking a cow when mm-hmm. really like he didn't like animals. You know, yeah. <laughs> he, like, you know, to be honest, he was kind of removed from the farm life pretty well. I'm sure he has fond memories, especially because with his dad and everything. But when you look at later on in his life, yeah, there's, I mean, he, he never really went back to the farm to necessarily no. do the work. Um, no, that wasn't, that wasn't his style and it didn't need to be, except for his public persona, because Mm -hmm. his most famous work, American Gothic and his other regionalist paintings, they were focused on those rural communities that he grew up in and he was a part of in so many ways. But, you know, he needed to cultivate that image of himself being an authentic member of that community, I think. And let's be honest, you know, as artists, uh, isn't that what we always do? We'll, We'll paint or create whatever we're familiar with, right? We're going to... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and so that's that's just exactly what he was doing. Um, so I, I think maybe we should talk yeah. a little bit about the history of that American Gothic. Like, what inspired that? Like, how yeah, did that even come from? Should we get into that? Because uh, like, yeah, I think why not? to get into this piece, American Gothic, you know, he was he was going to... Um, he was going to uh, an art show in... Um, another town in Iowa, and he sees this house with a window that he says he thought was, like, pretentious because it's, like, this big, like, cathedral window. And he thought, like, on this small house, that just seems like them putting on airs. And Um, I would probably agree with them. That does look like, wow, okay. You would, (laughs) except... Uh, a fun fun fact I read, actually, they talked to the people who ha- who built that house. Uh-huh. It was functional. They built that giant oversized window that looks like a like a sort of like gothic cathedral, cathedral window. Sure. They built it so that they could get furniture in and out through the exterior. So like that window would swing open so they didn't have to carry like furniture so like up the stairs. Yeah, it would open up so they could like hoist it from the outside and just shove it through the window. Oh, and nice. almost like a hayloft door, right? Exactly. <laughs> so it's like it's it's actually like totally practical. But he saw it, and he thinks like that looks absurd. So he stops and it's like literally sketched it on the back of an envelope, and that was the the initial inspiration. The house in the background of American Gothic, that was an actual house. His. Um, his models were people he knew. Um, people talk about like, 
you know, is it a husband, wife, father, daughter in, in the painting? Um, the woman was modeled after his sister Mm -hmm. And the, the man in American Gothic was not a farmer. It was his dentist. Um, and I guess like Grant Wood had like a love of sugar that like, even I find it absurd. Um, (laughs) like, like he was known to put sugar on his lettuce. And yeah, that's so, taking it a step far. That's, that's, that's taking it a very, very far. That's probably far. why he knew his dentist so well, right? That's why. Yeah. All that, that close relationship. All that <laughs> time he got a, he got a good look at those, those dentist's hands. And he said like, those are really strong hands. I want you to model for this, this painting of showing like the strong American farmer. Um, yeah. And, and like, so, I think you mentioned in the notes that he originally wanted his mom, right? But mom yeah, just was a yeah. little too old and just could not, could not sit for it. Yeah. Um, So I went to his sister, Nan, um, but mom did contribute the uh, apron, right? Yeah, she gave the apron. And I guess his sister, like, this is one of those reasons where people say, like, is that a father and daughter? Is that a husband and wife? I guess Nan didn't really, or Nat didn't really like the idea of people associating her as being married to someone like 20 years older than her. Right. And so, like, that's... I've always seen it as the the father and daughter and, you know, the whole pitchfork thing, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's the dad protecting his daughter, right? <laughs> um, but I will, I guess part of, part of the connection with this painting. So my, I, I, I grew up here in Illinois, but my, um, my mom's side of the family grew up in Wisconsin and they had a big farm. And, uh, you know, my grandpa Roy, if you were just to go up at any moment and take a picture of him, it would probably look something like that, that image that you see of the dentist. I mean, just a hardworking guy. I know one memory that I have of him. He passed away when I was pretty young, but his hands, man, whenever I shook hands, you could just, it was so calloused, right? I mean, these are mm-hmm. working hands. And the guy worked, but he was also the warmest, nice. So if the camera's not on him, which, you know, if he's sitting down for a photo for a long period, of, or for yeah. a painting, but um, I do have to imagine that this dentist probably had a sense of humor, too. Um, like, like my grandpa Roy. I, have to, I, I picture this, this guy with the glasses that, man, you, you take away the photo or you take away for that, the picture that I'm sure he's got a good sense of humor. That, that's part of the Midwest personality. I think to a large sense, that's, that's probably true. Um, and I, I, I like that you're pointing out like this, the strong hands, um, because like from what I've read, that is why Wood chose, um, his dentist as the, as the model. Oh, he liked his strong, it was his hands. Interesting. Um, and as I'm looking at this piece, what I'm immediately struck by is just like the stiffness of the pose and as you talk about the sense of humor, it does feel, it feels like satire. You know what I'm saying? Sure, yeah. Like, like it, it definitely does feel like there's this self-consciousness about it. Like, you know, I, I get the sense that, that he's playing up a part, which I always think is, is interesting because I think satire has this level of authenticity even as it's, it's making its subject look absurd to some extent. Yeah, there's a sense of genuineness to it, that it's it's true. Um, you know, as I'm looking and I pulled it up on my computer, it would take someone like Grandwood that's been to Europe, that's that's familiar with Gothic architecture, to even want to stop and draw this thing on a napkin. So I think that's, you know, something to think about, that he had this connection to European architecture and art, and that's probably why he was so much more fascinated uh, by this house. Um 
but the, the people, as you look at them, I know that a lot of Iowans or just Midwesterns felt that he was making fun of them when this was posted. I've never personally, I've never, have you ever felt that? Like, I don't, I don't feel he's making fun of Iowans. See, I always feel like it's this tone that's hard to pin down because yeah. I feel like there's, there's a certain level of, of like, like I say, a certain level of satire or parody in this, mm-hmm. but I feel like in some ways, like when I think about the title American Gothic, Gothic is referencing obviously the older architectural style. And, you know, I, I think this has that feel of like the overly rigid, stiff, academic posing, you mm-hmm. know, they're like, it's totally frontal at the the composition is in some ways triangulated between like the two faces and then the, the pitch of the roof and the background and every, you know what I'm saying? Like on so many, so many levels, it feels like this composition that is really stiff and formal. And, and to me, it feels like it is taking the norms of art from a few hundred years ago mm-hmm. and then putting it into the, at that point, modern context of American society in the rural motif, like the the clothing, the regionalist aesthetic and all, all of that. Um, and interpretations of this have shifted over time yeah. where some people have said like it, some people thought it was like poking fun of the rural people, which again, I can kind of see, but I feel like if anything, it's more poking fun at the rigid art conventions. I mean, I guess you got to look, if someone's poking fun, you got to look at the comedian. And I just don't get the impression. I mean, he's, he took so much pride, right? In yeah. his, his upbringing. In his community. Right. Yeah. Why, how on earth would, would Grant would want to poke fun at his own people? Um, I think that might be something that people outside of this community may have, may have thought. Um, but so one thing to notice as you were talking about just, trying to connect, you know, the Mona Lisa, what everyone loves about the Mona Lisa is that the eyes, you feel like they're always looking at you. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like neither of these characters, like I'm able to connect with their eyes, like even the dentist or the dad in this case, Mm -hmm. like, I don't feel like he's, he's not looking at me. He's almost looking past me. And obviously the the daughter is looking off to the right there um, or her left. So there's there's also, I guess, part of the reason why you can have this parody is that there's no connectedness, so it makes it easier to maybe joke about. Yeah, and it it, it creates this sort of tension where, like, I, I think the some of the common associations I've heard are, like, you know, he looks like he is the overprotective father, you know, mm-hmm. with a pitchfork ready to, like, you know, stare someone down, looking past yep. them. And it... it it creates this stiffness and, and this impression of like, you know, if you're not a part of this community, you're not welcome. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, that's a, that's a, a, a stereotype that we hear about a certain number of small communities, you know, they're very sort of insular and, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, he was embraced by his community. I don't, feel like that's what he was trying to portray. Um, To me, I feel like it was more of, I feel like there's a a sort of like quiet dignity and a strength in the stillness. 
No and doubt. what I, what I think he was trying to do, in some ways, is portray those rural people, the farmer and the daughter, whoever, you know, the American Gothic, this is their timeless art. This is the American society that that will endure the way that Gothic architecture is so, in some ways, overblown and in some ways, I feel ridiculous when you look at the ornate details and stuff like that and the flying buttresses and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But like, but it's held up and people have appreciated it for a long time. There's something that is timeless in a lot of that traditional Renaissance and Gothic and like the European stuff that, that Grant Wood was looking at throughout his life. And I think he's trying to say, this is the American version of it. This is our authentic culture, and this is the strength and the dignity that will carry on and endure. You know, I've always told the students that th- this, I mean, this is almost like America's Mona Lisa, isn't it? I mean, guys, we've all seen this, that we've used this to represent our country in so many ways. You know, but whenever you translate or interpret a piece of artwork, it's important to remember the time it was made, right? So if I want to translate this right now in 2021, that translation is going to be very different if you don't think about when it, the actual, it was made. You're talking about the Great Depression. And I think, I mean, just after the Great Depression, right? I think that America loved this painting so much because it showed their strength. Like, no, we are going to get through this. We are together. I mean, so that it's important when you, when you look at this work to be able to remember its context, Right. Yeah. Well, and and actually, I I think you're you're right on there. Um, the we got to think of the Great Depression. You know, the Roaring Twenties was great. The stock market crash was at the end of that. So this was painted. Actually, I would say like right at the beginning of the depression. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's where the initial reaction was probably influenced more by, you know, this isn't in line with the international style and, oh, this looks like you're painting us as these rigid, you know, and like, you know, he talked about how he felt like that window was absurd. So there is a little bit of, I think, parody here and I, I think a little bit of playfulness to this that, you know, I, I think of it in the way that, you know, you poke fun at your brothers and sisters and your best friends. And so like, there's a little bit of this rigidness to it, but like, that's also, I think, I think it's taking a shot at traditional portraiture as much as it is these individual people. But then, as you said, as the, the great depression took hold, people's interpretation of this, I think that's where it shifted from my understanding of like reviewing the, the, you know, background articles and stuff is in the time of the depression, people looked at this as holding up like the strength of, you know, the rural, the farmers, the working class people, the everyday people. Um, And I I think, you know, in that sense, it, it feels to me like, like a Diego Rivera type of painting where it's like, it's elevating the status of, of the working men and women. It's a badge of honor. Right. Yeah. And this is something to be proud of. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I now, think that's all I got. Forward, man. Oh, is that, so <laughs> you got more? Let's talk really, just real quick, the parodies, right? Because I know you're really yeah. big 
pop art and contemporary art. Um, and I think that's what's made this so fun as a teacher to be able to share with the students. Um, yeah, there's the whole historical thing, but now, you know, now that it's been around for so long, man, there's so many good parodies. So you don't, you don't have to look very hard yeah. to find yeah. just some great parodies that the kids can connect with, have fun with, and uh, just thoroughly enjoy. Um, Cause it is, it's yeah. fun. It's oh, fun. absolutely. You know, it just dawned on me, Kyle, that, uh, this this painting actually won my wife and I a hundred dollars. Uh, Halloween, you know the old the frames that you stick your head. Yeah. We, <laughs> this is what we dressed up as, and we won the contest, and we got a hundred dollar bar tab at Mullins. So maybe that's another reason why I'm so connected. <laughs> was that uh, you're making just, money off fond of it? Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, if you really want to talk about Grant Wood's style and his technique, that is also, so I love his broccoli trees, which I always tell my students, like, if you look like little broccolis, it's just, I think for, uh, elementary art, which we both teach, it's certainly an artist and a style that kids can really enjoy. Uh, And I hope they do. I hope to listen to this and want to learn more. Yeah. Cause I, I, like, like I say, to gloss over the technique, um, like, you know, you can see a lot of subtlety in the shifts of value. You can see, but like you can see the way that he's drawing the trees as like a sphere for the canopy of leaves instead of yep. drawing every individual leaf. Like you can see allusions to that texture, but it's more simplified a little bit, but still, yeah. still realism. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what regionalism was all about was it was realistic, but it was also a little bit simplified. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah, let's do it. I'm wrapping it up. I want just a three-point rating scale. And where should this hang? The Louvre? Is this something to look at? The lab? Is this something to learn from? Or the Louvre? British for the bathroom. Yeah, there's the a food Louvre. joke in there somewhere. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, love it. <laughs> You know, it's funny. You probably see this in all three, right? You could probably, I mean, of all paintings, this would probably one you could see in all three, but obviously, you know what I'm going to say. This is uh, just something that our country, our nation has cherished for so long and, and means so much. And granted, we've had a lot of fun with the parodies and stuff, but you'd have to put this obviously in the art Institute of Chicago, not the, uh, the Louvre. Um, it's certainly a, a national treasure. What do you think? Give me your thoughts, man. I don't know. I, I go back and forth on it, to be honest. Like, this doesn't feel like a lab piece to me because it's not one that I deconstruct and really learn a lot of specific techniques from. I mean, I could, but I could say that about literally any piece. Yeah. Like, in some ways, it feels like a museum piece because it is a time capsule of the culture and because it's also like a Rorschach test where, you know, you can see and bring these different connections to it. Yeah. Um. But I got to say also just personally, if I'm being 100% honest. You're going to put it in the loo, aren't you? I don't like it. Oh, you're putting it in the loo. I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've actually never liked regionalism. You know, I'm, not su- I'm, I'm not surprised by that at all. I've, I've listened to enough of your podcast, man. I know your style and like what you're into. And part of the reason I wanted to choose this one is because I knew it would challenge you because it's outside of your your love, right? Well, mm. so the thing about it is every episode I do, because I have to research it, you know, the more I research any artist, the more I generally find that I like. I think Picasso sure. is like the only exception to that. Um, <laughs> but like, but with this one, I, I'm conflicted because I understand its historical significance, but like, 
I don't like to look at it. I like the. It doesn't bring a ton of joy. No, it, it doesn't. Certainly. Thank you so much. Oh man, the pleasure is all my thanks for doing this podcast and just everything you do for the world of art education as a fellow teacher. I deeply appreciate it. So, and would do this again, man. This was fun. No, I appreciate you taking the time. And anytime you want to do another episode on any artist that I like or don't like, you're always welcome. Awesome. Thank Kyle, you so thank much. Thank you so much, man. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Take care. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted. If you found this tolerable, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week in the show notes on Twitter at WoodArtEd and on the website whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.